Slater foot there. Wednesday and you know what that means welcome to episode 49 of the ABZ football podcast I'm Gary Scott joining me this week as always it's Gavin Jay Baxter Gav how's it going it seems unfortunate Graham's not with us um could we get the opportunity to toast saying farewell for the final time to the 2021-22 season tonight it's all about looking forward absolutely in a week that saw the SPFL back down in the cinch dispute with Sevco, that saw Hibs release one of the worst kits in living memory, and that saw Aberdeen social media find itself continually refreshing Christian Ramirez's Instagram. It's a slightly more sedate episode of the ABZ Football Podcast as we bring your thoughts on all the latest news from AB24. We take a look at the cinch premiership fixture list that came out on Friday morning, and after the break, we'll bring you the latest in our line of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time, fittingly, perhaps, it's a man who first appeared in a red shirt as a trialist in a close-season game. That's right, we're in that neck of the woods now. Before he went on to sign for Steve Patterson, going on to make 80 appearances for the Dons over two seasons, it's Marcus Heikinen. What a flair. First up, though, news from Pataudry slash Cormac Park this week. Well, Gav, the biggest news of the week broke this morning, Sunday morning, in relation to... Don's right back, Calvin Ramsey, who's moved to Liverpool, was confirmed as being completed. It's been trailed for quite some time now. The Don's youngster signing a five-year deal at Anfield. Now, there's differing reports out there about the value of the move. I did see that, was it the Independent? We're trying to claim at one point today the, the deal was at 11.9 million. 11.4, yes, something like that, yeah. That is nonsense. We can confirm that the move's worth £4.5 million to the Don's up front with potential add-ons, which if they all came together would total a further... Three million pounds. Those are made up of a mix of appearances for Liverpool, Scotland, and on potential trophies won during his time in Merseyside. It's taken some time to get over the line this one, but it's done now. A huge move for the Aberdonian, making the move down south after only just thirty-nine top team appearances. Gav, your thoughts on the departure of Calvin Ramsey? I think first of all, just to say that uh, congratulations to Calvin for securing such a such an incredible move. I think. Every player in the world would go and play for Jurgen Klopp if they had the opportunity to do so. And for he as a player to go and learn from the likes of Arnold, um, Alexander Arnold, Andy Robertson, you know, it's it seems like a pretty perfect place for him to go and continue learning his trade. The system they play is tailor made for him. It makes the most the most of his attacking abilities. And you know he'll learn to become a better defender playing with the likes of Van Dyke. I mean, his all-round game is going to improve immeasurably. Um, Liverpool have got themselves a, a great prospect. And from Aberdeen's perspective, I think we've got a, a pretty good deal out of it. So, yeah, it's been a while coming. But I think uh, just all, all we want to say is just, yeah, thank you. And good luck for the future for, uh, for Calvin Ramsey. Absolutely. And, you know, I think... Um... I tweeted about it earlier on today as well. I think there's, there's huge credit needs to go to also Calvin and, and his family and everything. Calvin, you know, we, we've had the pleasure of um, 
of having a couple of chats with Calvin in the past. He's always come across as being a really measured, really mature young man. It's hard to remember he's only 18 sometimes. He is 19 in a couple of weeks' time, I think. But a real credit to his parents. He is a lifelong Aberdeen fan. He spoke quite movingly today about that, both on Red TV and with Liverpool um, on their media channels as well. But a lot of credit has to go as well to the, the guys at the Aberdeen Youth Academy, including the likes of Gavin Levy, uh, Neil Simpson, Paul Sheeran, who gave Calvin his, his first start for Aberdeen, um, or his first, sorry, his first um, appearance for Aberdeen as he came on as a substitute against United at Tanadice last season during Paul Sheeran's interim period in charge, but obviously the likes of Barry Robson, and I guess as well, probably some to, to Stephen Glass, the ex-manager who's no longer with us, but who very much made Calvin Ramsey a, a first pick in the side at the start of the season. And, you know, it's fair to say without that, I don't think we're looking at a situation where we're where we're selling Calvin Ramsey at this point for this sort of money. The whole story is just, um, it's an incredible success story for Aberdeen um, and our youth academy. It's, I think, as yeah, you're right, yeah, all the credit in the world goes to his coaching staff, his, the manager that gave him, the first opportunity to give him the platform to to earn this move. And what it really does is it's it's taken our youth academy to a whole other level in terms of the credibility it's got now and in terms of the big clubs looking our way and also our ability to attract youngsters. You can legitimately now say that, yes, come to Aberdeen, we'll give you an opportunity and the biggest clubs in the world are looking our way. So a life-changing move is also a distinct possibility. I think yeah, just again, I think Calvin's got all the aptitude in the world. He's made the most of his time at Aberdeen, and I think he's going to go on and, and really flourish at Liverpool. Yeah, fingers crossed. It was really encouraging as well to hear him talk about, you know, how Liverpool Jurgen Klopp has obviously spoken about putting him into the first team squad picture straight away. Um, he's picked up squad number twenty-two. I know that squad numbers are not the most important things, but the fact he's even been given a first team squad number at this point says a lot. You look at Liverpool, you know, when they have, you know, when they're in the League Cup, for example, last season, early doors, and they play a lot of youngsters in that tournament. You know, you had guys coming in with squad numbers like, like 72 and shit like this. It's like, yeah. I, I know that Alexander-Arnold wears 66, but, you know, they've got huge, huge squads, huge, huge um, strength and depth. The fact that they're even showing a level of commitment to him to say, well, here you go, here's the number you want, it says a lot. And I think that the fact that even talking about that that potential of him being in the first team squad in or in that picture is really encouraging. I think a lot of people, myself included, would have been a bit concerned for Calvin that he ends up going there and finds opportunities to be in or around the first team potentially limited, gets dropped into the under-23s, for example, maybe out on loan for God knows how long. It seems as though Liverpool are very, very keen on him. That's clearly the case given how much they've pursued him and, and got that deal over the line. Um, and that, that, that bodes well as well. And you're right, the, the best thing about this for Aberdeen is, oh, well, best thing is the money obviously but you're absolutely right it's a real feather in the cap for the youth academy and really helps us in that um drive to try and attract the best youngsters from not just Aberdeen and, and the, surrounding, the surrounding areas but across Scotland and maybe even further afield absolutely and with regards to you know um Ramsey at Liverpool he's gonna have a, a tough time getting in the team you know Alexander Arnold's still a very good age you know there's you wouldn't imagine there's a sign of him dropping out of that team anytime soon the good thing as well, we've got this sell-on fee or the sell-on percentage. Um, mm -hmm. I think chat about 70.5%. I mean, the thing is there, like you could go to Liverpool, play 10, 20, 30 games, make life-changing money. And then, you know, a few years down the road, maybe a, a smaller team in England comes in with a, in today's market, you know, 20, 30 million. Then we're going to almost double our money. It's just, yeah, I think the deal has been structured very, 
very well and it suits everyone. Absolutely. Um, also leaving the club this week, Dean Campbell heading out to Stevenage in League Two down south for a season-long loan. Um, obviously, Dino's out of contract at the end of this season, so you've got to expect this is a huge season for him um, in England to go down there and try and, I guess, impress and try and persuade Aberdeen to look at extending his deal. I'm not going to pretend I know where Stevenage finished in the league last year. You might have that information in front of you. With the magic of editing, you will have that in front of you. Uh, so Stevenage, yeah, they finished 21st in League 2 last season. That was um, out of 24. So, yeah, just avoided Yeah, the old relegation places. Nine points clear of relegation eventually, but yeah. I'll be very, very intrigued how he does down there. Um, there's so much, so much football to be played. Um, yeah. Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. Um, league 2 is a very, very physical league. Uh, very demanding. Um, we've spoken with the likes of Rob Nelson, and I'm sure maybe things have moved on since Rob was going out and loan, but you know, he didn't find those kind of moves necessarily favored the more ball playing kind yeah. of players, which I think you would class Dean Campbell as being. It's huge. I mean, if he wants to persuade Aberdeen that he's got a future here, he needs to go out there and become one of the best players in the Stevenish team at the very least. Um, he had a pretty uninspiring loan spell at Kilmarnock. Um, it's enormous. It's enormous. And I can't, if I'm being truthful, I don't see that really working out for him all the well, but Dean Campbell can go and prove me wrong. I'll be delighted if he does. Absolutely. It's a huge, huge season for Dean. I think it's Stephen. You're right. I'll be interested to see what he does. I mean, one of these things, I guess, is that sometimes a change is as good as a rest and all that. And a different style of football, a different environment might might just suit Dean down to the ground. So let's um, let's say he does all the best to Dean when he's down at Stevenage. Be very interested to see where he goes and plays. Yeah, I think that will be interesting. Certainly, I think Steve Evans was talking about him as a central midfielder. So that's I think where he sees him playing. But oh, Steve Evans, yes. manager of Stevenage. Yes, big fat Steve Evans <laughs> is the manager at Stevenage time. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, certainly at Kilmarnock, people say it seemed to indicate that his best. Spells at Kilmarnock when it was when he was playing on the left hand side. There's probably an argument to suggest that that's potentially where his best performances for Aberdeen have come as well. Was playing on the left hand side either as like a wing back or as an full back even. So we'll wait and see. Steve Evans certainly was talked about him as a central fielder, but let's see what happens there. Uh, Millwall also the latest club to be linked with a move for Lewis Ferguson, the London side allegedly pitching an initial bid of around one and a half million pounds for Ferguson, who's out of contract at the end of the 23-24 season. Don's allegedly knocking that initial offer back. It falls well short, I guess, of what... Well, it falls well short of what Watford offered us last summer, which I think was in the 2.1 million pound mark, I think that was reported at the one, time. 2.5, can't quite remember. Yeah, in and around that ballpark. Um, which at the time was, 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 was deemed by us to be derisory. I guess we're going to have to wait and see what comes of that offer from Millwall, whether they come back to the table or if there's any other interest in Lewis Ferguson. I had a chat with um, Kieran from Aberdeen Live earlier about this. Uh -huh. um, it's it's a difficult one, I think, from Aberdeen's position. Um, I, don't, I don't think one and a half million is enough. No, I don't think it is either. But it is that thing of like, the more we kind of dig our heels in, the potential there is of dwindling returns as his contract gets closer and closer to his ex its expiration date. Um, and if, if truth be told, if I was Lewis Ferguson's agent, who I don't want to be. Um, Bill McMurdo. Um, Nobody wants if, to be Bill uh, McMurdo. Bill I, McMurdo doesn't want to be Bill McMurdo. Um, I think I'd be saying, Lewis, not Millwall. That's your 
you're better than that, I think. Um, it's It'll be really interesting. I, it's one of them where I think that you could make a legitimate case to say that he's worth twice, maybe even as much as, as Ramsey, you know, with um, the experience he's gained, the international caps, the number of goals he scored for Aberdeen. I've seen a lot of people saying that today, that the Ramsey deal now sets a precedent in the mm-hmm. sense that we've taken four and a half mil up front for a guy who's only played 39 games of football. Ramsey's played over 150 times for Aberdeen, I'm pretty sure. Um, Ferguson. Who did I say? Ramsey. Sorry, uh, Lewis Ferguson's, yeah, he's, he's he's played over 150 games for Aberdeen now. He has Scotland international caps, and that was always a thing that was being held out as the reason Nathan Patterson, for example, went for more money than we could attract um, for, for Ramsey. The flip side to that is I'd show you someone like Ryan Christie, who has plenty of Scotland international caps, but went to Bournemouth for about three and a half million, I think. But he only mm-hmm. had one year left on his deal. Um, there's various different permutations around how transfers and everything will work. Um, I I strongly suspect, and I said this yesterday on Twitter, that I think if we get someone who comes in with something that takes us close to what Watford offered us last year, or maybe a bit more in the kind of two and a half million pound mark, I think we would probably be ready to do a deal around that sort of level purely. And I don't necessarily think that's right. Um, I think he's worth more to us than Ramsey is at the moment. He Rams Liverpool are buying potential in Calvin Ramsey. Lewis Ferguson has performed consistently for Aberdeen to a, a, a reasonably high level since he's been with us. Um, the difficulty with the, the, the Ferguson situation though, is that, he is that that contract is winding its way down. If if he sticks around for one more season, you're going to end up at a point next summer where he's only got a year left in his deal. A lot of teams will look at him and go, "Why would I pay two million now when I can sign him on a pre-contract agreement mm-hmm. in January for nothing?" It's starting to become diminishing returns on on Lewis Ferguson. And the one thing we saw as well last season, and this is not me slighting Lewis Ferguson in in, in any way, I think he's a very very good footballer for Aberdeen. After the Watford thing got knocked back. There was no other interest in him, no real concrete interest that came in. Um, and a really pertinent thing that you know I've had said to me by guys who this is their bread and butter, this is what they do, is, is work in the scouting arena, work in the player marketing arena. Ferguson's a good player, but he doesn't really excel at anything. And he doesn't grab like a scout's attention when they come and watch a game. He's a very steady player. And his underlying hashtag data, if you strip out penalties, it's not overly spectacular either. Like Calvin Ramsey's metrics, for example, for the last season were off the charts. And that's part of the reason teams like Liverpool will be looking at him is because they'll be looking through the data analysis and going, there's something in there that we can really work with and, and, and grow. Ferguson's data doesn't really show that much either. So he's not a player who necessarily grabs a lot of attention from scouts Um I know for a fact that there were teams looking at him in after January, came looked and went away raving not about Ferguson, but raving about another essential midfielder who had just broken the Aberdeen first team. Um, it's not a slight on Lewis Ferguson at all, but it, it is a it's a difficult situation for the club to come in. And all the people I can see out there just now who are saying the club need to hold out for like double that. They need to hold out for five million, six million, seven million. They'll be the same people who will be fizzing if we get to January 2024 and Ferguson signs a pre-contract to go somewhere, Sevco, who knows, for nothing. And there'll be a huge outpouring of um a huge outpouring of emotion about the fact we've let him go for nothing. There comes a point where I think we have to cash in at some point. I, I feel that this summer window is probably that one, I think. I think you're probably right. I think it's a good time. It's Lewis has been here what for what four years now? 
He's played. He's pretty much played every week. I would imagine he's played roughly every minute he's been available to play I that so, entire yeah. time. Um, conversely, I know there's the chat about the data and statistics, and maybe scouts on a one-off basis don't are not um, captivated by his performances, but. Conversely, we've spoken with various professionals that have played with Lewis Ferguson, and they all say that he is a guy that's destined for the very top. Mm-hmm. I think that will that will carry through. Um, I think he needs to be careful about what his next move is. I think he needs to pick it very carefully. Um, we there was chat about City A teams being interested. Watford were a Premier League team. There will be other clubs out there. I think you're right. I think we have reached the natural end of our relationship with Lewis Ferguson. Um, and he'll go He'll go with my absolute best wishes in the same way as Calvin Ramsey. I think mm-hmm. he's performed consistently. He's never downed tools, despite what some people might like to say, based on his surname more than anything else. And yeah, yeah. Um, but we need to we need to get a return on our investment. Yeah. We can't be in that situation a la, a la that guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just looking at his numbers. It's actually, he's, it's 169 appearances he's played... He's 169 games he's played for Aberdeen in the four seasons that he's been here. Um, only one of those appearances has come off the bench. Everything else has been a start. So there's 168 starts in his time at Aberdeen Football Club. And looking at his numbers as well, that is pretty much every available game in those seasons. The only one that drops off is the 1920 season where he had 38 appearances, but that season was curtailed because of COVID, which explains that one. Every other season has been 40 plus appearances, 37 goals um, in the time he's been here. So roughly one in four. Roughly one in four is yeah. where he's at. So I mean, like his again, you need to strip penalties out of that to an extent, but they're good. They're good numbers. Um, I'd be surprised if there wasn't a better team uh, available to Lewis Ferguson in this window. It also depends as well where he sees himself going. Whether I move to some like Serie A, for example, if the likes of um, it was Calgary who were interested in him. In January, there was also talk about Susulo, but um, I think their interest dried up pretty quickly. Um, you know whether that type of environment would suit him as well. I, personally speaking, I actually think it probably would. Um, a, a different, a different style of play might actually do him quite well. But let's wait and see. That's one that I think will rumble on for a few more weeks yet to go. On the rebuild front, now recording on Sunday, just for the record, recording on Sunday, and again, from what we've been told, I would expect this to be a busy week for Aberdeen um, going forward who knows by the time that this has gone out on Wednesday there might already have been a mini, mini pod or two recorded beforehand or on their way to you who knows especially after the finalisation of the Calvin Ramsey deal which does at least give us certainty about the, the figures we have now in terms of hard cash in our pockets all being well there should be a number of incomings this week now the first big rumour of the week going forward was about Norwegian striker Tobias Lauriston from Odd Balkluben. He's on our shopping list. Our understanding is that the tall Norwegian was at Cormac Park earlier last week for a look around. Deals agreed in principle with the player. He did his medical while he was here. All good. Clubs are still yet to agree a fee. Some chat on the go I've noticed over the course of this weekend that there may be a rival club of Aberdeen who have also now put in an offer for the striker, perhaps been alerted to the fact he is potentially available from Odd BK uh, after reports of us being interested in him have come to fruition. So we're going to have to wait and see on this one. Uh, Lauritsen played for Odd against Molda on Sunday afternoon, scored one, hit the bar, had quite a nice diving header, um, saved as well. Odd felt a 2-1 defeat. Now, I watched a decent chunk of this game um, this afternoon. I'm not going to lie. I, I liked what I saw from him. For being a big lad, looks pretty handy with the ball. 
at his feet. His overall game looked pretty impressive, but hard to judge completely as order. Well, I'll be brutally honest, pretty fucking garbage. Um, but I guess let's wait and see what happens. It's another one of these moves that seems like it's kind of come out of nowhere, been trailed for a little while, but encouraging again that we're perhaps looking at different markets. Yeah, no disrespect intended mm. to the um, orders, um, whatever their nickname is. Um, Rosenberg's nickname is the Trolls. I know that, but that's uh, yes, that's, yes, that's yes, the yes, extent yes. of my Norwegian football knowledge in that sense. Um, we had pretty good info intel that we were looking in Sweden last summer at players. Yes. It's clearly a market that we are devoting attention to. And yeah, the, the chat we've had from some Norwegian journalists, people that are in the know, giving us some pretty encouraging tips on the guy. And let's just hope that from the sounds of it, he fits in with the system that we're planning on playing in terms of playing probably one up top. Yeah. The physical lad, but like you say, good with the ball at his feet. Someone right now is shivering at the thought that this is like another jet, but... <laughs> We've got pretty good intel to say that's not going to be the case. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm hopeful that the Ramsey deal going through now means that we have the checkbook available to us. Like I imagine like tonight, Dave Cormack is like currently recreating Scrooge McDuck's swimming pool <laughs> with gold coins. But tomorrow, you know, tomorrow we get the work done and we make some some real headway. And yeah, I would be on the basis of what I've heard, of what I've seen, I'd be pretty pretty keen for Tobias to come in not to mention it like affords us amazing Arrested Development content which is the main thing I trialed a lot of that earlier in the week um, when it looked like this was perhaps going to happen a bit sooner than, than, than it has today I mean obviously the fact that he scored against today probably means that the whole thing is going to go to rat shit and he doesn't sign for us and signs for somebody Pips. else Pips. <laughs> yeah um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens he I, I saw a lot of people earlier in the week um, also looking at his numbers and being very concerned about lack of games he did suffer a horrendous horrendous broken ankle back in 2020 after a um an overzealous challenge from a goalkeeper who has a reputation for doing these types of things apparently it's alan mcgregor i I was waiting to say i don't know what the norwegian for alan mcgregor is but (laughs) insert your own joke here um but by all accounts again from the norwegian um journalists we've spoken to and one who is not norwegian but has a a huge interest in Norwegian football. Um, they've indicated that he appears to have now kind of come back from that looking fit, healthy, doesn't appear to be hindering him in any way. So any concerns about long-term injuries in a typical Aberdeen fashion where we've signed a guy with like no knees appears to be kind of unfounded. So fingers crossed that is the case. We'll see if this one comes to fruition during the week. If it does, don't worry, we will have a mini pod to give you uh, some insight onto what Tobias can offer us. We've already got these guys lined up. What do you take us for? It's, it's good. It's going to happen. Let's see what happens this week on that front. At the same time this week, we were also linked with a move for North Macedonian striker Bojan Miofsky, who's currently with MTK Budapest, so a current teammate of uh, our only summer recruitment so far this season in the form of Ilber Ramadani. Now, this one this one really looks interesting to me. I, 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 Miofsky looks like a real talent in terms of what he can what he can offer. But as a result of that, he is being courted by a number of other clubs around Europe by all accounts, which, again, from speaking with some Hungarian journalists and with a North Macedonian journalist in the course of the week, uh, the, the the figures in mind would be that we would have to probably look at a transfer fee in the region of pushing a million euros, potentially, which for us would be, that would be serious dough right about now. Well, I mean, one million euros, that's roughly equivalent to what? One million pounds, thanks to Mr. Johnson. Um, 
it would be quite remarkable, wouldn't it, if we were hitting that one million euro mark? Could maybe take the take the pressure off Paul Bernard after all these years. <laughs> yeah, um, potentially. Yeah, again, Aaron, who we spoke to about um, Ramadani, was very, very complimentary about Miofsky. He's a, he's a very yeah. young man as well, isn't he? A lot of, uh, lot of upside, a lot of potential to then potentially sell him on in future for for big money um i think that's what attracts me to him also the fact that he's really broken into the north macedonia national team in recent yeah. weeks um and north macedonia they are not a bad team yeah i mean he set up the goal he set up the winner for um north macedonia against italy um in the playoff round i mean yeah he's 22 years old his 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 data in terms of what he did at MTK this season is not overly spectacular. Eight goals and thirty appearances for MTK. But as we spoke about with Aaron in the mini pod of Ilba Ramadani, MTK appear to have just been an absolute shit show all season. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> potentially, you know, looking as bad as what we were. To be I was going to say had a regular Aberdeen of a season. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it'll be interesting again to see. The, the, for me, at least, at the very least, we're looking in different places. That's it. Bojan Miofsky. Tobias Larratson, that is far more intriguing and exciting than Callum Hendry. Yeah, who went to so, Salford City I see this week. Yeah, I did see that. So I was kind of maybe not surprised. He had a good he had a good second half of the season, especially. But um he um I did see people punting his name around for Aberdeen. It's like No. No. I know he looked he looked okay. Look did he did well. But if Callum Hendry's the answer, then what is the question? Um Who is Colin Hendry's son? Who is Colin Hendry's son? It's it's exciting. It's different. I, I mean, who knows? This may or may not work out. I mean, what it certainly is is a real test early doors of the recruitment team and the type of players we're bringing in. Because th- this could go like almost one of two ways. Couldn't it? it could go amazing and we suddenly unearth a whole bunch of gems from different leagues who we've not, not really been looking at at all for, well, forever, really. Um, and it's been a long time since we've really even looked at Europe properly i think it's fair to say um, um i mean you'd, you'd probably be talking what realistically i was gonna say jimmy but that was basically nah, limited was, limited was to, that was limited to where scott calderwood was yeah so you'd be talking ebby and even that was mostly scandinavia so. it was mainly scandinavia so it would be the first time probably ever that we've really been looking on a truly pan-european basis let alone anywhere else um it could go one of two ways it could be an amazing money ball type scenario where we suddenly bring in a bunch of guys for relatively low outlays in the grand scheme of things, but who come into a turn, we can sell them for decent money, whatever, or it goes a bit hearts under Romanoff. Well, I mean, I would take the hearts under Romanoff to begin with. <laughs> yeah, that first like season. Like the first year or two. A little bit less like when they started getting the likes of who was that fucking clown they they signed from like for a record fee from like Belgium? Oh, I don't know. Are you thinking about the Estonian lad? Oh, I can't remember where he was from, but um remember the Estonian boy that was meant to be the quickest footballer on like the planet, yeah, Rick- and then Ricky Foster outpaced him in his opening game. Yeah, and it was like, well done, lads. And the did they not send a Brazilian lad as well who like couldn't do keepy ups? <sighs> Quite possibly. I mean, they, they signed all sorts of jokes. I know. Uh, so yeah, more of the more of the scatchels and like that, not less of those kind of guys. Um, okay. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, the thing is, I would say that we are now what roughly roughly three weeks away so i think we need to yeah get get back and get a little bit of a move on with uh yeah. getting some of these guys into the door and not just for a tour if they're doing tours by the way for car park i'll i'll i'll, I'll sign up as a trialist <laughs> you've got your aberdeen a gab you could i think they were doing tours at car park weren't they 
Like, yeah, well, I went, I went like into the, I went into the changing room. I went to see, <laughs> I want to see Michael Devlin's physio table. Could be a bit like, was it not Ian Jess told us about when Abby was just bringing in guys, or was it Adult? I can't remember which which guy from that year it was was telling us, but there was just a guy turned up one day, turned up at reception, told them he was here for a trial. Oh, that was Ian. Yeah, yeah. They gave the guy like towels and took him to the training pits. And it was like this guy's like just turned up and said he's here for a trial, and they'd given him a trial. I know, yeah, it was our, it was our um, Christ, it was our Ali Dia moment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Only we didn't sign him. Thank God. Um, this week as well, we've also been linked with a loan move for Sheffield Wednesday goalkeeper Cameron Dawson. That was rejected by Sheffield Wednesdays. They apparently want Dawson to be in their squad to challenge their number one, David Stockdale. I've got nothing to say about this. Um, I think I vaguely recall the name from a couple of years ago, but yeah, couldn't say anything about that. Who knows? No idea. Now, the majority of the first team squad returned to Cormac Park for pre-season training on Wednesday. Uh, a few of the players who've been involved in international duty, so the likes of Lewis Ferguson, uh, Ramadan is still to appear. I think I've got a little bit of extra time off. All eyes were certainly on whether we saw a certain American striker returned to the club. Now, the Evening Express and the P&J... No, it's not Landon Donovan. No, it's not Landon Donovan or Christopher Muller. <laughs> the Evening Express and the P&J were really heavily trialling on Monday that he was back. Scant evidence of that all week. Any footage from Conrad Park distinctly did not have uh, Christian Ramirez. Yeah, there was, there was no smiling Christian Ramirez in it, no. No, no definitely not. Um, but then, Friday... He was pictured departing from Los Angeles airport. The expectation now, the Evening Express have changed their story, is that he has returned to Aberdeen. He'll return to pre-season training by the time that this episode is out. But it's fair to say, Gav, there's still a lot of questions about his long-term future at Aberdeen. Well, all we've seen is we've seen a picture of him at LAX. We don't know where he's going. Well, there was a picture of him looking at, I think it was Heathrow, maybe Amsterdam, looking fucking miserable. <laughs> I think I've seen that picture of him, like on sitting down, like scowling yeah. at a camera or whatever. Yeah, recreating that one of him on the bench. Yeah, um, it's not. It's not a good look. It's it, it's really it's speaking to his desire to be here. I think we talked about it with Andy Murray. Um, to decide to leave with only five days of a season, five days of the season left to go, and then to come back for preseason late. I mean, hey, maybe there's a reason why that's happened, but it's just, it doesn't look good. But what I don't understand from this is it took until, I think, Friday night for there to be any sort of chat about where he was, why he was it? And there appeared to be, like, Goodwin quoted as saying, yeah, yeah, we'd let him come back late. And there's that is part of me then going, why the fuck would we let him come back late? He was allowed to go fucking early. Like, what the actual fuck? Which... I don't want to accuse people at the club of lying or not being completely honest with us about the scenario and the situations, but it doesn't, it's this thing, but if he was always coming back on Saturday, for example, why not just say on Wednesday when the team returned, you know, the team are back, Christian's coming back on Saturday, he was given an extra couple of days or whatever, blah, blah, blah. That stops any sort of speculation that has been for a lot of the week about Christian Ramirez. Straight off the bat, I've seen a lot of people online doing the online sleuthing about the fact that he'd removed any references to Aberdeen Football Club from his social media profiles. I don't know if he had them in there to begin with. I couldn't tell you. I don't care. If but the only thing I would say is if he has removed references to them, that that doesn't look great. Um, it just the whole thing's very murky. That's the only thing I would say about this. It could be all perfectly legit, all perfectly above board, but I don't understand why if that's the case, why we just don't say 
this is what's happening. Yeah, because there was chat around Twitter about potential illness, but as you say, you can easily clarify that within. Yeah, just saying he's had if, if it's COVID, he's had COVID, so he's coming back a, a week later, mm-hmm. whatever. Then you move on, you know. It feels if I was a gambling man, it just feels like he's doing the minimum. Yeah, and ultimately, I still think that the, this is all going to end with Christian Ramirez being back in America. I mean. We're not looking after, we're not looking out for these number of strikers. No, that's if true. the intention is that he is going to be, and we're not looking at players with these kind of values. That's what Ramirez is going to be here. I think we just need. I think he'll come back. You know, he'll he'll do his work. I'm sure he'll do it to his. <laughs> I'm sure he'll do it to a satisfactory level. But um, I think this is again maybe a bit like Ferguson. This is just something that I think needs to just be wrapped up as soon as it possibly can be. It needs to be wrapped up one way or another, doesn't it? It needs yep. to come back and he comes in and he starts afresh and he's here for 12 more months and we get the best out of Christian Ramirez for 12 months. You um, know what? It wouldn't shock me if he comes back and he, he's coming back to negotiate his way out. Or, or he's coming back because he has to, because he's under contract. He can't be seen to be in breach of contract and that's not going to look good for a potential move someone else. The MLS window doesn't open up until the 10th of July, I think it is. You know, who knows? If I'm a betting man, I'm very surprised if Christian Mirez is still at Aberdeen Football Club once the MLS window closes. But who knows? Stranger things have happened. We've seen turnarounds in terms of like relationships and all that kind of good stuff happen much quicker um, elsewhere. Who knows? Let's wait and see what, what pans out over the next few weeks on that one. So, Gav, last Friday morning saw the SPFL fixture computer, or as it's otherwise known, Neil Doncaster and his Excel spreadsheet crashing into action. Provide us with the excitement we were all craving. Yes, Mark Gordon. It was exciting as we get a first chance to see where we'll be dropping points all over the place next season. And we open things up with the live Sky game on Sunday the 31st of July, away at Celtic Park for Flag Day with a 4.30pm kickoff. That wasn't the one I was predicting, actually, to be honest. Uh, no, I would have placed every single penny I own on it being a home to St. Johnston. So, uh, <laughs> which, to be fair, would have been preferable. Uh, yeah, Celtic away, it's not It's not ideal. Uh, you have to play them away at some point anyway, so you might as well get it over and done with. It's very true, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's just like, you know, you can go to Celtic Park and play well and still get turned over by two or three goals. Um, I think we all want us to build momentum as early as possible. But hey, I guess you're right, and... What better way, actually, to create that momentum than to go to the Champions and fucking hammer them in Northern Park? Exactly. And the one positive about this could be the fact that, obviously, because Celtic go straight into the Champions League group stages this season, they won't have any competitive football ahead of that game. And we will at least have had some games in our legs in the Premier Sport in the Premier Sports group stages. So you never know. You turn up on a day, catch them a little bit cold. You know, who knows? Who knows? The month of August then sees us play St. Mirren Mudwell at home before a visit to St. Johnston on the 20th of August and the reunion with Andrew Constantine, who signed a two-year deal with the Perth side this week, before we finish up with a home fixture against Livingston. On the face of it, that August month is about as good as you could probably hope for, isn't it? If you want to try and get some results on the board and build a bit of momentum. It could have been a lot worse, let's put it that way. It could have been a lot worse, certainly. Um, Sitting there at home, you know, you'd be looking at that and thinking that's three points. Motherwell, um... It's a chance to go and prove that we're a different team 
and it's a transfer Kevin Van Bean to ride roughshod over Declan Gallagher once again. I was, I was, I was going to say to, to banish him to the um, the disputed zone. I don't fucking know. Um, <laughs> to banish him, um, we did okay against St Johnson last year. No, we didn't. We were no, fucking we garbage against them, but we won one game. Yes, thanks to handball. Thanks to uh, thanks to LeBron Jenks. Um, Andy Constantine in a blue top that just doesn't look right by the way I don't get people saying this because he played for Scotland if it's not a Scotland top doesn't look right speaking of which did, did you see the thing that did record today um, I've today? heard I mean I've heard the story the chat yes I've heard it yes. oh talk about shit like the daily record headlines like Andrew Constantine blasts Jim Goodwin and then you'd actually read it and it's like there's nothing in here like <laughs> yeah it was taking it it was taking out your hands Andrew yes it was because the club took the offer off the table because your agent refused the table the contract offer was on the table. Like it's such a non fucking story. Just it's 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 papers just try to create beef. It's yeah. Trying to create the, the story, a narrative for that game. Um given it's gonna be so earlier in the season especially. All the best to him. Yeah. When he's not playing Aberdeen. I'll be honest, I'm surprised I'm really surprised to see a, another SPFL premiership team giving him a two year deal. I, I am really surprised about that. But fair fucks, that's what he wanted at Aberdeen. We weren't going to give it to him. If St. Johnston are going to do it, then, you know, fair enough. But yeah, I think you'd look at, and then obviously the home fixture with um, with Livingston, who we had issues with as well last season. It's a, good, it's a good start on paper. It's again, it's going to be, I think it will be a test of where we are even that early on into the season. Mm-hmm. And it'll set the, um, set the bar for how we go through the rest of the campaign. I don't want to say it becomes make or break because that's 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 clearly not necessarily the case, but it's a favorable start. Our Premier Sports group is, as we touched on it a few weeks ago, is about as good as it could have been in terms of the teams we drew out of it. If you're gonna handpick a bunch of teams, they were probably the ones you would have probably looked at. Goodwin really needs to start getting some momentum. If we come out of that August, for example, with less than three wins on the board the pressure's already going to start because then you're going to be into some of the more challenging fixtures we're going to face in the league next season at that point it's really imperative we got off to a good start now i think it was imperative that we got off to a good start no matter who was the manager i agree i agree on that but i just think with i'm not sure goodwin has a lot of goodwill at this he has some i think a lot of people are still on the fence about a lot of things I, I see a lot of people on social media at the moment blaming Jim Goodwin for the lack of signings, which I'm not entirely sure is correct because it's not his job to get signings over the line. One thing I would say, though, is that maybe just needs to temper expectations a little bit in terms of things he says in the media about when we're going to sign players and all that kind of good stuff. You know, we're still waiting for that exciting left-sided centre-half that he spoke about with Graham Hunter a, f- a few weeks ago that was meant to be here the following week and that still hasn't materialised. It wouldn't take very much for him to be under a lot of pressure with this opening August. Yeah, I take your point. I take your point there. Um, it's imperative we get that four wins mm. right off the bat with the um, with the um, the group stage of the yeah. Premier Sports League Cup. Still yeah. can't. That's as strange as saying Europa Conference League. Like I say, I think it, I think it was imperative no matter what happened regards to manager, whether it was Stephen Glass had managed to hang on by the skin of his teeth or if it was Jim Goodwin or anyone else. Um, yeah. The the memory of I me, mean, it's so it's still so recent, still so fresh last season. And it'll still be fresh by the time that those games come around. 
Yeah. And we just, we just need to completely clean the stink <laughs> of last season away from the club. And the That's... way to do that is, just, is to win games and win games convincingly. Absolutely. Definitely. Other notable fixtures. First match with Sevco. 5088 Limited is at Pataudry on the 10th of September and then we host Derek McInnes' Kilmarnock on the 1st of October. So that will be an interesting one, I think it's fair to say, no matter how things have panned out before we get to there. With the league taking a month off from mid-November because of the World Cup, we face a Christmas Eve visit to St Mirren and then a midweek trip to Kilmarnock on the 28th of December. Of all the potential traditional Boxing Day, I know it's not Boxing Day, it's the 28th, but never mind, <laughs> fixtures that we could have had pulled out of the hat, Kilmarnock away is quite possibly the Jack Grimmer of them all. <laughs> I mean, joking aside, I mean, I think I think Rangers got paired with Ross County at home, away on Christmas Eve. Oh, on Christmas Eve, yeah. That'd be brilliant. Dingwall on a Saturday, Christmas Eve at three o'clock in the afternoon. Brilliant day out. You've been to Dingwall? Yeah. Cracking. Going to Mr. Wimpy's for like your <laughs> Christmas dinner. Um, um I I just I remember like the SPL being the SPFL, whatever the hell, being like really good at like regionalizing these games. That was I imagining that. Like it used to be a thing that we considered things like that yeah. back. Well yeah, or it would be rival it would be rivalries potentially. So we would like tend to get like Cali, like you'd tend to have like the Dundee Derby around that kind of time. You'd, you'd get the Derby's the New Year game. Yeah. I don't know if they're trying to create a derby with Kilmarnock because of the dent. Because this is what happens to Aberdeen because we don't have a natural local derby. We always end up getting paired with the other jobbers who don't have a natural derby in the league at that time. Yeah, at that time. So like, and that's why I feel like we've ended up with Kilmarnock out of fucking nowhere this time. Normally it would have been Hamilton. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, a trip to Kilmarnock is bleak at the best of times. Never mind. In between Christmas and New Year, but um, on a hey, midweek night, fuck that. Just what I mean, the fuck? we're we're saying that, but like one of us will be there. Graham will be there with fifty quid on Aberdeen, <laughs> winning. <laughs> Jason Brown will make a shock appearance. Back shock appearance. Oh, that would be a shock appearance. It wouldn't be Jason Brown, who's lost, gotten lost from uh, on the way to Pizza Hut. <laughs> um, I don't think he ever went. I think he just got pizzas delivered to him. Yeah, I can bastard. imagine Jason being like very sedentary while he got his pizza delivered. Maybe. Imagine anyway. Jason Brown if he lived in West Hill. Well, was that not the problem? Well, that's the problem with Christian Ramirez was that... I thought one of our esteemed listeners was uh, delivering pizzas out to West Hill for Mr. Brown. Well, he could have been. I don't, I don't think he was in West Hill, but hmm. there was always just he was always getting two. That was like, the story he had two, there. Yes. And he was a very frequent customer, I think, was the story there. But remember, Ramirez was raging because no one... You couldn't get anyone as just the app to deliver to West Hill yeah no it's, it's a shame the guy didn't wasn't around for um Christ what was the kebab shop in West Hill called oh good question the Mediterranean the Medi I mean, it was just the Medi yeah the Med next yeah. to the Key West um good times good times one thing I mean this is I wasn't going to do this just now but I'm going to do it um I mentioned it just because we're talking West Hill and this really really tickled me Yesterday, I'd mentioned on Twitter yesterday, for my absolute shame, it's taking me this long to actually get around to reading uh, Fergie Rises by Michael Grant. I don't know why I'm holding it up. This is not an audio, this is not a video podcast. What am I doing? What a fucking idiot. Um, I'm hoping that certain people will take the shilling as being okay in certain quarters. It's taken me way too long to read it. It's a brilliant book by Michael documenting the making of Alex Ferguson through, his, through the prism of his time at 
at Aberdeen. But in it, and I'd never realised this before, but it was the time where Fergie, when he first came into the club, um, nicknamed a group of players who lived in West Hill who were perhaps causing him problems at the time, the West Hill Willie Biters. <laughs> um, Joe Harper, Dom Sullivan, and Ian Fleming, I think is who I want to go with there. So there we go, West Hill Willie Biters ride again in the form of Christian Aminas. I mean, if I ever head back out to West Hill, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form a crew and I'm going to call us that. Yeah, um, but on that, thoroughly, honestly... If, if you're like me, I think, Gav, you're probably the same. If you think that when the Fergie stuff gets like talked about and that perhaps Aberdeen, his time at Aberdeen is not really given the time of day that it really, truly deserves, then this book's a real two to force. Thoroughly recommend you pick up a copy. Fergie Rises by Michael Grant. We hope to have Michael join us on the show in the coming weeks. It's a top read. Get on it. It's brilliant stuff. Back to the fixtures. Sorry. You are very welcome for that plug, by the way, Michael. Yeah, I think he picked up a couple of extra book copy sales um, on Saturday night. So there we go. Danny Williams. Danny from Dogger Saints was buying one. Good lad. Good there lad. He's, go. a, oh, he's a Man United fan, isn't he? He's a Man United fan. Ah, well, yeah. uh, Michael, if you can send £30 to our PayPal, by the way. Be- <laughs> <coughs> um, just back to the fixtures really quickly. We round the regular round of fixtures off with a home match against Sevco on the 22nd of April. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. Who knows when that rolls around. One thing I thought was worth pointing out and no one's really picked up on yet, our pre-split fixtures, the way they've landed in terms of who we've got twice at home versus who we've got twice away. We have Sevco Hearts, Motherwell, Kilmarnock, Livingston and St Mirren twice at home prior to the split. And then we have Celtic, St Johnston, Ross County, Hebs and United as our fixtures where we've got two away games before the split. That seems relatively balanced. I think in terms of like difficulty levels and all that kind of good stuff. But I actually think it's maybe worked out quite well for us from that perspective. Definitely opportunities if we can get our home form. Yeah. In order to rack up a good number of points. Yeah. To give us a fa- to give us a foundation for a really successful season. And even then I look at like St. Johnson, Ross County away, those historical fixtures we've done okay with. Mm-hmm. Um Hibs. Our hips. hips, so, and then United away. I I think United had a. It's funny. I we had that we had a tweet a message come in. Actually, I was I I completely forgot to 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 think about mentioning this, but I'm going to do it now from um from Graham Sinclair, um who had been listening back to our show last week on the phone in, which by the way was a lot of fun. Thank you everyone that phoned in once more. Was a lot of fun, and I think it's had some really good um we've had some really good feedback on it as well. So I think that might become a a more regular feature on the show. If nothing yep. else, it saves us having to think about what the fuck we'll do that week, which is always a always a benefit for us. Like tonight, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but Graham, like, Graham raised this point, I'm just going to read out most of it. Um, just finished the phone-in was good and a lot of knowledgeable, sensible things said by the callers. I was intrigued by the question you kept asking at the end about what constitutes success next season, and I have a slightly different take on it. And this is actually a really, really good point. As we know, he lives in Dundee. He happens to have a lot of Arabs who he works with. They always speak to him in great detail about his team and they think he's got all this interest in them, which I don't, or at least not to the extent that they think that he does. Obviously, last season they got to fourth and European football from the outside, it looks good. But the reality is that apart from a 3 0 win at Easter Road, United have been relatively poor all season. They only got 48 or 49 points in the league last year, which uh, I just need to double check if that's actually right. But I don't doubt that that's. That sounds familiar. 
well, let's just say that that's about right, which in any other normal season is finishing sixth at best. No fan I've spoken to at United is upset about Tam Court's leaving as the football was dire. They all feel that Jack Ross would be a major upgrade. His point is that I know, I know. If they think Jack Ross is an upgrade, fuck me. But his point was, if you ask me the question, what would constitute success? It wouldn't necessarily be finishing fourth if it meant a points total in the forties and horseshit football all season that United have had. My answer is to get to about sixty points. Then so be it, and a minimum of one cup semi final. It's an interesting point because the league last season was so congested that buying average teams like Dundee United ended up in relatively high positions in the league with with pretty, with pretty mediocre points tallies. I mean, it's worth repeating again and again, but it, it was until the very final fixture that we were out of the running Yeah, to be in the top six. They finished on 48 points. Yeah. If they finished 48 points last season. 48 points would have been good enough for fifth place the season before. It would have actually been good enough for third the season before that, but that was, no, that was the current season. That was the COVID season, year. So that, doesn't, that doesn't count. It would have been good enough for... Oof, Ninth the season before that, it would have been good enough for eighth the season before that. It would have been good enough for fifth the year before that. It's not an impressive points tally. Let's put it that way. I mean, it's what so you can win a maximum of one hundred and fourteen points in a league campaign. Well, very good maths, Gavin. Very good maths. That's good. That's that's playing too much championship manager right there. Um, trying to go on on those unbeaten seasons. Um, it's, I mean, I think, I can't remember who, I might have been Ross. Was it Ross? Talking about Hearts. Yeah. And the season they had, I think they finished on 60 points. No. 61. Close, Gav. Close. 60, 61. Yeah. Now, I think it's worth mentioning. Hearts, Hearts still lost 11 games last season. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck me, they lost us. Yeah, they just weren't that good. Yeah, and I think one, one of the callers actually made the very good point that Hearts got promoted last year and then finished third. Mm-hmm. They had a top flight team in the championship and they had kept a lot of the core of that. And, you know, Craig Gordon is the difference in the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Massive. But, and I know that Aberdeen have got a huge job to do. Um, but when it comes to success, I don't think that third is out of the question. I do not think it's out of the question at all. If that's the, the standard we've got to reach there, effectively with half your points. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree. I don't think it's... I, I think maybe it might be a push for us next season just because of the sheer turnover of players that we need to get in the door and gel very fucking quickly because as we touched on a little... We're, we're, at the time this episode is going to go out, we're less than... Or we'll, we'll be around two and a half weeks until our first ever... Our first ever? Our first competitive game of the season. Our first ever trip to the Blue Gym. Uh Yes, absolutely. Um, So it's a lot we have to do in a very, very quick period of time to get this team ready to go. But you're right, even then, to get to 61 points, although in a normal season, 61 points wouldn't get you third either, which is the other counterpoint to this. This is very true, yeah. Um, you don't have to, you're right, you kind of need like a, le- a slightly less than 50% conversion rate from the points that are available to you. It's not, it's not an overly challenging target to try and get to, you know? You need to win, what would that come out of being? You need to win about 17 points per round of fixtures would get you to 51 and then you'd have to split maybe you maybe need 18 19 then to get there before you get to the split but whatever it's not a particularly challenging target to get to and it should be one we're absolutely aiming for anyway if that was an interesting point from Graham anyway um if you've got any any comments any thoughts anything you want to put in front of us 
on the ABZ Football Podcast, especially over the next couple of weeks where you might gather we're padding like fuck to try and get you some content here. Yeah, and yeah. You tried running a podcast when your club's not signing anyone. Yeah. Okay. Difficult. Difficult, difficult, lemon, difficult. Um, send us a send us an email, abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com or drop us a DM on Twitter. Don't send us a DM on Facebook because we never fucking see them until it's about three weeks too late. But yeah, drop us a note. Find us something. If we think it's interesting, there's a good chance we might we might bring it up. Oh, I mean, we might even bring you on for a wee chat. You never know. We might. You never know. If it's that interesting or if we think you're that controversial. That's not an invitation to send your controversial opinions, by the way. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that could go like a very... I could yeah. take a really like severe turn. Uh, a real drastic right turn. Not where we end up not really talking about football. Yeah. Could be that Donker Saints thing all over again. <laughs> I'm looking forward to playing um, St. Johnston purely to... Maybe hang out with those guys one more time. Where are we down there the first time? We are away at St. John's the first. Yes, absolutely. Maybe we can uh, hook up with with Danny and Sam. Yes. Well, there we go. Maybe not. Let's not use hook up as a phrase, but <laughs> never mind. Sorry, I was just um, thinking about Sean Ailey go again. Absolutely, definitely. Um, that probably wraps up part one, Egaf. I think. I think that'll do us. Yep. Yep, definitely. So that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after break for our interview with X Don close season trialist and finish international it is marcus heikinen Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we get cracking with the interview with Marcus Heikinen, we just want to give Scott and Keith, Keith from Fitbat Tweets, give him a follow for their contribution to the ABZ Football Podcast Beer and Coffee Fund. Gav, you're cracking at something that looks affy fancy. This is a robust porter from a part of Norway that I cannot pronounce. Lovely stuff. But it's effectively kind of got the whole coffee and beer thing going in uh, in one glass. So Nice. Uh, Scott Keith, everyone that's contributed, you have helped make this happen. So here's to you. Definitely. Here's to you. We see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you would like to help us keep fueled in beer or coffee, head over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. The link is in the description. Buy us a beer or a coffee. It's much appreciated. Keeps us going. But without any further ado, it's time now for our interview with Finnish International, ex-summer trialist and former man in red. It's Marcus Heikinen. Marcus Heikinen, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm doing very well, thanks. Excellent. Marcus, first of all, thank you for joining us. It's taken a little bit of time for us to sort out a time that we could both mutually manage, but um, delighted to have you on board. I know that our listeners will also be looking forward to getting to hear from you as well. So let's just um, let's just start at the beginning, shall we? So you've had a very successful international career for Finland, and we'll come on to that a little bit later, but you were actually born in Katrinholm in Sweden. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And of course, uh, Finland has a history after the wars, the Second World War, uh, there came a time when, uh, of course, in Sweden, that, that was the neighboring country that wasn't participating in the war. Things were much better financially. So a lot of people from Finland went to look for a better life in Sweden, mm-hmm. as did my parents in 
early 70s. And during that time, my big brother and I was born then in Sweden. And we moved back to Finland when just before I was about to turn six years old. Okay. So some memories I have. And, and just talk to us a little bit, Marcus, about, I guess, your your childhood. And I guess growing up, was football always your favorite sport? Or were there any other sports that you were particularly interested in? I was pretty active as a kid. Uh, sometimes it's hard to understand even myself nowadays because I'm not so active <laughs> as a person. But uh, And then my, my, my dad was really into sports. So I did a lot of different kind of things when okay. I was a kid. But uh, football was the number one, I think, together with ice hockey, but maybe the football it's out because the feeling I had towards uh, Argentina and Diego Maradona after okay. 86 or during 86 World Cup. So I think that was a, like a turning point. And who then, apart from Argentina and Maradona, who would be the team you supported as a as a kid, and who was your footballing hero as a youngster? My club has been since 1989 Arsenal Football Club. Arsenal. Okay. Yes, and there's there's not very interesting story behind my dad and my big brother were on a trip to London. And they came back with an Arsenal shirt. It could have been any shirt, <laughs> a betting shirt, but it was an Arsenal shirt. So. It's close enough in colour, let's be honest. So there yeah, we go. Starts uh, with A. Exactly, exactly. And and from Arsenal, then, who would have been your footballing, you know, your your idols as you were growing up, do you think? Uh, there's been pretty many. Uh, of course, in Finland, the problem before the Premier League was that uh, there was only one game broadcasted every Saturday, and it was really Arsenal. So could, you couldn't really see the games. Yeah. So from the Premier League era, uh, of course, I like Patrick Vieira, Dennis Bergkamp, players like that. So in terms of just when you were, you know, making your way in the game as a youngster, um, were you kind of always a midfielder, a defensive type player, or was that a development that kind of came later on in your your career? I was very attacking minded yeah. until I was 17. Yes. Uh, and even uh, I think, I don't know, but I had the feeling I was more like a goal scoring midfielder than anything else. But then the turning point there was uh, when I was 18. Uh, I moved away from Oulu. I left as a midfielder. I went to first time in the top level team in Finland and the coach said in the first training session that now you're left back <laughs> and, I said, and I said no I'm not I'm a midfielder I said yes you are <laughs> uh, he was very strong-minded guy and I, and then he ordered me to come before every training session 45 minutes before to work on my left foot because I will be left back okay <laughs> so that was a kind of a struggle in the beginning yeah but that season i ended up playing mostly right back after that i moved in the center of the field and then switching between midfield and center back position mostly center mid so let's just talk quickly so obviously you came to the youth ranks at uh, ops which is the club based in your hometown of olo eventually making your way into their first team setup and i think it was 1996 there thereabouts Made about 20 appearances for them before you moved to TPS, um, which I guess that would have been the first time you saw the step up to full professional levels up where we were just talking there. 
It's uh, OPS. I I played only the one the one season in yeah. in Finnish second league. Before that, I was in two different like youth clubs in Oulu. Mm-hmm. And it was at the point when you moved to TPS, you thought, right, cool, I might have a real chance here of actually making a career out of football. Uh, not not really. No, uh, not no. Um, it was maybe a little bit after when I was selected to play with Finland's under 21s. Okay. And in those games, uh, I could see that uh, I can play in, at that level. I started thinking maybe there can be a possibility. And I think it was with TPS you would have got your first taste of European football, um, the Intertotal Cup. Um, I think is I was going to say my memory, but it's not my memory. It's just it's the research. Included a pretty good win over FC Sion in 1998 for TPS. Was, was European football something that you always enjoyed being involved in and did those experiences quite early in your career give you a bit of a taste for looking to maybe move abroad at some point? Yeah, I think, uh, the, well, the year was 1997. I can't remember all the opponents we had in Intertoto, but uh, of course for young player like me, those were like a really, like an eye-opener. Mm-hmm. I had played a couple of games for Finland under 18 before, uh, for example, against England and Wales and Ireland. So I had a small taste of international football, but uh, but I really uh, loved the feeling of like European games because they are so different from the domestic yeah. competition. And then after uh, TPS, it's a move to uh, Maipa in Finland, mm-hmm. uh, finished third in the league during your spell there, make 43 appearances in total, a couple of goals, and then you make the move to, I guess, what most people outside of Finland would perceive to be the biggest side in the country in, in HK, HJK Helsinki. Uh, just for you at that point, again, your career, how big, a, how big a move was that for you to make? Yeah, it's because uh, uh, the times were pretty different at that time. There were not... Uh, many Finnish players playing abroad. It wasn't easy to move abroad. But at that point, I made a plan that I signed for HAK for three years. And during that time, uh, the transfer abroad has to happen. Or then I start studying in Finland and playing football. I I got also a little bit pressure from the family. (laughs) So the move was uh, based on that the coach who was, who was in charge in under 18th Finnish national team, that was my coach, he came as a coach in the Hoiko Helsinki and he wanted me there. Okay. And of course, in terms moving in the biggest club in Finland where you have national team players also uh, playing for the same positions, uh, it could have gone any direction, but the coach had a lot of trust in me. So very quickly find out that uh, I will play. And then things started happening yeah. pretty quickly. If you'd had to, what would you have gone to study? Uh, at that time, I haven't told this to my family. <laughs> uh, of course, they don't, they don't probably watch this. I told them about my, maybe my ambitions to be a doctor. Okay. But I'm not sure if I had any ambitions to become a doctor, but I had to tell them something. <laughs> Quite right. Well, as it turns out, um, not not required. You become a mainstay of that HJK side, which won a couple of league titles and a, a Finnish Cup 
during your time. You end up making over 80 appearances for the club during that spell. Um, they would have been obviously your first major trophies that you won in your career. How good a feeling was that for you just on a personal level to be getting that that opportunity now to win titles, to win trophies? Um, yeah, the Phoenix Cup in, in the first season, it, uh, which we won, was, was of course a nice feeling. But uh, when we become champions, 2002 was after a season we lost the title in 2001 in the last game. So, of course, there were a lot of frustration and anger that was relieved on those moments. And it, it is very happy memory. And um, at that time, it wasn't uh, that clear that Hoiko should win every year. Everything, okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, nowadays, it's much more like it. There's yeah. The competition is not so broad anymore. Hoiko is in a different level. But mm. at that time, there were four or five teams who were capable of winning the title. And in Europe as well, um, Ishike play Parma in the UEFA Cup in, in 2001, eventually going out 3-0 on aggregate, um, a narrow 1-0 defeat away in Italy. You, pay, you play sorry, in both of those legs. Just talk to us a little bit about that experience. I mean, this is a Parma side that had the likes of Fabio Cannavaro, Hidetoshi Nakata, uh, Savo Milosevic. We're, we're all playing in that side at that time. How did it feel to be going kind of toe-to-toe with these kind of guys? Um, well, I remember... When, when the coach told me, okay, you mark Cannavaro in the corner, don't worry, he's a short guy. I don't have any problems. And I think it was the first corner and he jumped over me. And like, what, what the hell is going on? He was like, like a monster with his leap. So, uh, well, year before that, we played, we played against Celtic in the same phase of That's right. Cup. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was like a second time we were able to play against really top-class players. It was funny feeling because we had a feeling that it's an even game, but we en- ended up losing in a pretty high margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, I didn't understand it so well why why it was like that. But of course, later, in one or two years, I started found out more. Yeah, absolutely. So during that spell at HGK as well, you make the, the breakthrough into the full national side a debut in a friendly fixture against Bahrain in January 2002 that's the first of 61 caps that you end up um, receiving for the national side now you talked about it a minute ago you'd been around the under 18 under 21 setups before for Finland but just how how proud a moment is that for you for your family to get that first cap at a full international level yeah uh, I haven't told this to many but uh after under 21s, when I played the last game, I had the feeling that this that this was it. Okay. That I, I didn't see it in me that I will become a like a full national team player. But of course, it's not the first miscalculation I have made <laughs> during my career. And I was very happy, of course, that I made it, but also the progress in between I, I was able to make. It was a big thing because even I... I'm born in Sweden. I'm always been Finnish yeah. because my parents are Finnish and my relatives are Finnish, and I'm always been attached in Finland. So it's it's the biggest honor you can get to represent your country. Absolutely, and you had some pretty impressive T20 
teammates during your spell with with Finland as well, the likes of uh, Yari Lipmanen, uh, Sami Hipia, UC Askelainen. Who would you say was the best player that you played with? I think there's uh, always in Finland the comparison. Oh, Yari Lipman is clearly the best. Mm-hmm. Everybody's considering, and then after that, maybe Sami Hipia. But of course, seeing them both on the pitch. Uh, the both have different characteristics, characteristics as a player. Yeah, like a Hupia, very solid leader, always on a high level, like full professional. Played ten years in Liverpool, like in a top level, mm-hmm. in an absolute top level. Then Litmanen, completely different from everybody else, with the with the technical side, the game inside. We haven't had we haven't had player like that after him. Yeah. I don't know if we have had player like him before because <laughs> I, I don't know the whole history. But uh, in training you couldn't get near him <laughs> because he was so quick to understand what happens next before he receives the ball. So you were thinking that now I'm gonna tackle him, but somehow he managed to play it one touch, push and then away. Yeah. So. I think those two are uh, very clear on their own category. But after that, there were also many, many good players who were playing in Premier League, like you mentioned, Jäskeläinen, Antti Niemi, yeah. Teemu yeah. Tainio, Aki Riihlahti, Jonas Kolkka, a lot of players in Premier League. Absolutely, definitely. January 2003, you make a loan move from Helsinki to Portsmouth, who were then of the Championship, managed by... Harry Redknapp, of all people. Um, what was the main reason for this move coming around? It seems like a bit of an odd move at the time. To How did it come around? Yeah, in in some media it has been written that it was a loan, loan move, but it wasn't because I was free agent. Okay. Um, well, my agent at that time, 2001, 2002, was an English guy, okay. and my ambitions were to play in England. And then... Towards the end of the t- end of the season 2002, there were some options from the championship level uh, that I could choose. But uh, of course, my ambition was to play in Premier League, so I I was uh, happy to make the move to Portsmouth, even if it was on a short term, because I was uh, pretty sure that I will show everybody that I'm a very good player and I belong to Premier League. But uh, didn't happen but that was the <laughs> thinking behind it yeah i mean it's a it's a portsmouth side that you join that are romping to the league title that season um a side filled with premier league experience in the likes of shaka hislop tim sherwood paul merson uh yakubu your opportunities are limited it's, it's fair to say a, a debut coming off the bench at fratton park in a 6-2 win over Derby County and then another sub-appearance at Coventry in a 4-0 win. I mean, just talk to us, I guess, about some of the personalities in that dressing room and, and working under Harry Redknapp. What was that What was that like at that time? Uh, of course, in the training ground, I was uh, at one point sitting next to Paul Merson. And as an Arsenal fan, of course, I, I, I knew some things about him. <laughs> but... Uh, he was so, like towards me, he was so polite and nice. 
uh, didn't have any anything else except respect towards him. Then with Jakubu, we arrived same time. We lived in the same same hotel for okay. pretty long time, and we were driving with his car to the training center. And what struck me about that guy was that he was always in a positive mood, like a very positive mood, and changed my perspective also a little bit. Uh, very nice guy, very humble. But then, of course, on the training pits, you it was pretty difficult to catch him because he was... <laughs> It was very, very quick. Yeah. Of course, it was like an uh, experience to see that uh, the top-level players are, can be like very nice guys, humble, down-to-earth, treat each other with respect. So I think in that sense, it was a, it was a nice experience. Uh, on the training pitch, of course, it was completely different. It's, it's you fight for the, your places and competition and stuff like that. And that was also when I understood a bit more how the game is played in England or Scotland, I think there's some similarities which yeah. are different from Finnish football. Yeah. So it was a good learning curve. Harry, uh, <laughs> I think he was uh, like outside of the pitch, like uh, he was welcoming me with uh, very warmly and nice to me and understanding me but of course he didn't play me so uh, I thought that he was wrong but <laughs> afterwards maybe it's not so easy to be a manager or coach and make these all decisions and everybody can't be happy yeah no, exactly absolutely as it is I mean Portsmouth end up securing promotion to the Premier League um, they decide obviously not to, to, to extend a, a contract with yourself um, you end up then coming on a a trial in a pre-season camp that Aberdeen were running in, in England. Was there any other interest in you at that time from Championship or Scotland? Uh, right after the season was finished uh, at Portsmouth and also in June, there were uh, some offers, but I wasn't really happy to take them. And then after a while, everything quieted down. I didn't have anything going on and so at that time, when the, when the chance for short trial with Aberdeen came, I, I was in contact with a Danish club who wanted me to have there and talk, with the, talk about the deal. So these two things happened at the same time. Okay. Yeah, so, but uh, I decided uh, basically to come to Aberdeen first and have a look. Oh, to Bradford or wherever. Yeah, to Bradford. It was. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, um, you feature in both the matches in this Bradford City centenary tournament. The first is a two 0 win for Aberdeen over Swansea. I think you played uh, seventy minutes as well in the final against Bradford. A 0 0 draw that saw Aberdeen win the tournament on on penalties. It was a pretty healthy contingent of Aberdeen fans at that tournament, as I recall, and. It's fair to say you you certainly impressed the support in those two preseason games, and clearly, manager Steve Patterson and Duncan Shearer, who's obviously a club legend at Aberdeen, they make the move to to sign you on a two year contract. You you just talked about there the fact you had potentially an opportunity to look at a club in Denmark as well. So, did Steve Duncan did they have to do much to persuade you to make the move to Aberdeen? I don't know. I, my logic behind the move to Aberdeen was that uh, it's closer to England than Denmark. So uh, that's, 
that was my ambition. I go to Scotland and then I move back to England when the time is right. And before joining Aberdeen, just what did you know about the club itself and about Scottish football, I guess, more generally? About Scottish football, of course, there were some Finnish players playing before. So some interviews, uh, I remembered reading about them and seeing some some ma- matches also. But uh, I expected the football be similar what it had been in England. So mm-hmm. so the way of playing wouldn't be so different. As a club, um, of course, my agent uh, spoke me very highly about Aberdeen and the history and the size of it and mm-hmm. and things like that. So I was briefed up pretty okay. Good, good stuff. And then your first impressions then, I guess, of your new management team, Steve Patterson and, and Duncan Shearer. Uh, I think uh, I really liked them. Uh, they were very nice to me and trying to make some jokes because, uh, but probably I didn't understand half of them because <laughs> of their accent and things like that. But uh, I think they they made me feel welcomed, and that is always uh, important when you mm-hmm. come like from different country. And a home debut follows pretty quickly after you sign it's a friendly another friendly uh, this time with Liverpool um, mm. it was part of Aberdeen's centenary celebrations I think uh, Aberdeen ended up on a, the end of a 5-1 hammering from, from Liverpool but just um, for yourself it's a capacity crowd on a, a relatively warm evening in the northeast of Scotland your first impressions of playing at Pataudry and then just more generally was Pataudry actually a stadium that you enjoyed playing at? Um, I my impression from that game was like, I'm so happy to be here because, of course, it was a special game because Liverpool was the opponent and and a lot of people and nice evening. But I, I felt very good and and I was so happy that I signed the deal with Aberdeen. As a crowd, uh, I think there were many things happening during my time. Yeah, uh, Fans were not particularly happy during my first season there, 2003-2004. I remember yeah. that uh, uh, in some point I thought we were playing in a away ground because, <laughs> the, because uh, that, uh, the reception was sometimes, it felt uh, pretty hostile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it turned it around completely, like second second season under... Jimmy Nick and Jimmy Calderwood was completely different. And and then I could see the both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And that was, for me, it was nice to see. Uh, nice experience. But, uh, and, of course, uh, I could see that I wasn't really so much affected about uh, how the crowd is reacting, which was, uh, which I noticed also later during my career mm. when there was some rough patches in other other clubs going okay. on. I guess we'll come on to the two seasons in a second. I mean, when you join Aberdeen, um it, it's fair to say it's not a it's not a golden period of Aberdeen's history this this era here. Um Steve Patterson and Duncan Shearer, they they joined the club midway through the previous season. They'd kind of been given the job of trying to really cut the wage bill drastically from what had been there before. Um, 
your first season in Scotland is a real struggle for Aberdeen. We're knocked out of both cups at the quarterfinal stage by Livingston at both times. Um, although you get your first goal for the club, um, a Scottish Cup, third round replay at Dens Park, Dundee, a fine strike that flashed past uh, Julian Sproni, who of course went on to play for Crystal Palace later, in front of a large travelling support. You remember much about that first goal for the club? I thought I was only dreaming, but maybe it really happened. No, it really happened. My, I was there. It, there wasn't many goals <laughs> I scored during my time. Yeah, I, I remember something about the goal. I I think I hit it a little bit with the outside of the boot. Yeah. Spun it past Spironi. It was nice. And there was even a nearly a Zlatan Ibrahimovic-esque celebration. I remember you just stood in front of the away end, just okay. basking in it. It was good. It was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Highlight of the season is probably there was a, a very famous 2-1 victory at Celtic Park in April of 2004. It's a vi- it's an injury hit Aberdeen side full of youngsters um, kind of patched together to go and pick up a fine win against Celtic who were, I think, already champions or were on the cusp of being champions. Celtic's first defeat of the season, their first defeat at home in over 70 games, which was, what, three seasons worth probably, something like that. What can you remember about that night, if anything? I remember I wasn't reading too much what media was writing, but some of the teammates were saying that the media is expecting can Celtic hit the double figures first time for, I don't know, what was the vibe. Yeah. And I was like, what are they thinking, the double figures? <laughs> but then, of course, I think during also during that week, the players kept dropping and dropping, and suddenly we were in a situation that, if we didn't have uh, anything to lose before, now we had even less. Yeah. So, and of course, I think it was the game after Celtic uh, become became a champion. So maybe they were expecting an easy, easy evening. Yeah, possibly. But it's a fine win. Um, who's it again? It's David Drillich and yeah. Brian Prunty, I think, with the goals that evening. Um, yeah. It's an unbelievable result. I mean, I remember it still to this day. I think a lot of Aberdeen fans going to Parkhead that evening were fearing the worst. There was a Celtic team that were just rampaging through the league. Um, they still had the likes of Larson, Sutton, Hartson, etc. up front. Um, and as you say, we arrived there with a very, very limited squad because injuries and illnesses, I think, just meant that everyone dropped out. It was a remarkable, remarkable result. Mm. Um, Aberdeen eventually finished that season second bottom of the league but for you on, on a personal level it was a really impressive first season for you at the club you'd, you'd become very quickly a favourite of the Aberdeen support was that a little bit you know bittersweet I guess from your perspective that for you personally you've done well you've really kind of engaged and and, and been bought into by the support but the club's just just not performed really as, as well as it could have done um, of course they're I think always in a situation when when club is maybe trying to uh, reshape the financial structure, so it needs to cut the yeah. wage bill and sign players with uh, less and less money. Uh, it's probably one of the hardest thing for the club to have a solid season at, at that time. Yeah, and I. It's almost 20 years ago, so I, I, I don't have a, like a good rec- recollection of everything. But uh, but some things I wasn't 
happy what was happening on a on like on a football footballing side. I mean, you you have the most appearances of anyone in the side that season, forty six in total. So you've become a instant first name on the team sheet for for the for the club. And like I said earlier on, the fans certainly took to you. They recognised there was a quality player in there. In that summer, obviously, Steve Patterson and Duncan Shearer, they are um, relieved of their duties. Can you remember how you found out about the fact that they'd been let go? And I guess, what's your immediate reaction to that? Are these are the guys that have brought you to the club. Does that bring a level of uncertainty about whether their new manager is going to fancy you? Or is it just a case of, well, I'll start with a clean slate and we'll, we'll see how we go? I, I can't remember how I found out because after the season, uh, I left uh, back to Finland at that time. I think uh, I only used my Finnish phone because <laughs> answering to this one that has Scottish number would have been very expensive. Uh, but I remember that uh, somehow uh, the date uh, I was told I need to come back for preseason was changed. Okay. But I wasn't informed. So then I came to the preseason. Like late, so it wasn't really a good start under <laughs> management. I was going to say, so it's Jimmy Caldwell and Jimmy Nickel who come into the club looking to build on their success they'd had at Dunfermline Athletic. Um, I was waiting. I was waiting to ask, did they make it clear that they saw a role for you in their no, plans? I, but I guess first of all, you had to apologise for turning up late. Yeah, of course, there was this thing that uh, I wanted to have a move away from Aberdeen. I yeah. told uh, at the end of the previous season to Steve Patterson about this. And that was uh, what was uh, mostly in my mind during the summertime. And, but then uh, I started training with the team and just trying to do what, what I have always did, like giving my best. And, and then I think it was after couple of days or week, Jimmy Calderwood came to me and, and he said that he wants me to stay, that why I would like to change. And then we had a good discussion. I really had the feeling I can speak with Jimmy about everything. And that, uh, of course, as a player made, made me feel very good. Mm -hmm. um, there was this thing uh, I was asked or approached by... German club to go there for a couple of days and then Aberdeen agreed and I had this short uh, trial with Eintracht Frankfurt that summer. They wanted me to have there and I think uh, everything probably could have been uh, done between the clubs but then at the end of uh, at the end of it I decided that no I'm not gonna go to Germany mostly because Jimmy was uh, saying many things about the direction we are going to go. So then mm -hmm. I stayed and I was very happy that I stayed because I could see things improving very quickly. That's good. Uh, and I guess just, I mean, you've, you've talked about it there that Jimmy may be a bit more approachable, able to have good kind of conversations with him. What were just your impressions, I guess, of, of, of the two Jimmys? They're Tremendous characters for different reasons in Scottish football. Um, your initial impressions of just working with the two of them on the training ground, tactically, and I guess as you've kind of touched about Jimmy Calder and man management, 
and been able to talk with him. But the same for Jimmy Nichol. How did you how did you find getting on with those guys there? I think what changed was uh, what I can remember is that we, we we really had a like a game plan for each game, and the two Jimmys they wanted to change the formation of the team according to opponent, which uh, for me it wasn't nothing new because we have done that in Finland already. But uh, then for maybe for some of the players it was like a new kind of learning curve. But uh, of course, we were getting the results, and with that, people yeah. started to believe in the project. And with Jimmy Nick, it was difficult because I couldn't understand what he was saying so well. <laughs> but uh, I thought I think he was a re- really I got the feeling really nice and like a genuine guy, and he get really well along with the players. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that summer saw the arrival of a number of different players come into the club. Um, I think perhaps most important um, for Aberdeen Football Club that summer was probably Scott Severin joining from, from Hearts. Um, and yourself and Scott, you you formed a really good partnership in the centre of, of the midfield. What do you think it was about your individual like styles that complemented each other so well? I, I really like Scott. Like he was a great guy as a person, so laid back in a dressing room and and it was easy to get along with him. And on the pitch, I think we uh, we have some similarities, like going into tackles without any kind of fear. I think that was that was pretty much yeah. the, he he could distribute the ball. I think he played also some games as a uh, centre half or as a spare man behind. Yeah. So like a good good game inside. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there was many differences between us. Maybe I I was uh, some things I wasn't at his level, but I was probably a little bit quicker. I mean, I think like I said, I think the two of you complemented each other really really well. It was a really good central midfield area for Aberdeen that really helped build a foundation for the team to improve hugely that season from what had happened um, the season before. Another guy who joined the club that summer was Noel Whelan. Um, bit of a character. What was Noel like around the dressing room? Uh, he was good fun. And I think that was probably the reason he was in football. That He wanted to fun <laughs> that every, football was fun. and But of course he had uh, some mm, things in his football skills that the rest of us didn't have. You managed to add a couple more goals to your tally um, that campaign. Uh, another one against Dundee. You obviously had something about Dundee that you liked scoring against. Another one against Motherwell. And one at our broth in the Scottish Cup. Now, I've never been at a game that was as cold as I was that one at our broth. Now, Marcus, you're from Finland, so you might have a different view on this one. But have you ever played in anything colder than that day at our broth? Um, I don't know. Until I went to Austria, <laughs> because in Finland we don't play okay. during the winter time. Yeah, uh, summer football. Yeah, so yeah. you got it. You got a nail. Yeah, that's what it is. Play, like now it's uh, in the middle of the month, and now the weather is unbelievably good. It's plus six degrees, but usually it's not like this. I, I'll always remember it in that warm up at Arbroath. Chris Clark was doing like cross balls in for the attackers. And he was standing, like, throwing balls into the box. And he was basically purple, like, just... And this was the warm-up. This is before we'd even got into the game. It was just like, oh, man, this is going to be... 
a ridiculous game. 2-0, I think it finished in the end. Um, and as I recall, I think before that game, Jimmy Caldwood had made it pretty clear, I think, that it, it was becoming unlikely that you were going to extend your deal at Aberdeen. And even though I think Jimmy had wanted to try and keep you for longer. And as, as I recall that day, our both, I think the supporters really tried their best to convince you to, to stay. Um, did the kind of level of support from the fans like ever kind of like play with your mind about swaying you to maybe stay at Aberdeen or had you already kind of decided, and you, you, you kind of maybe touched on this earlier on, had you already kind of decided, look, I want to do a couple of years in Scotland and try and get back to England? Um, somehow, like during the games, uh, when you really are into playing, you kind of block everything or most of the things that are going outside of the actually game. So um, I first time I noticed about the fans like uh, su- uh, trying to turn the head or supporting me was really at the <laughs> end of the season. So of um, course at that point it didn't have any any kind of effect. Uh, I'm a kind of guy that um, I don't jump into conclusions or decisions easily. I, I have to think them very truly. Once I do it, there's no turning back. And we just touched on it a minute ago. It's a much better season for Aberdeen. We take the fight for a European spot all the way down to the last game of the season. And and despite us beating Hearts 2-0 on that final day, um, Hibs' one goal defeat to Rangers meant that Hibs took third spot on goal difference only. And that obviously was going to be your last appearance for Aberdeen. Jimmy took you off with about 20 minutes to go, I think, in that game. And you received a standing ovation from the support as you departed. Now, obviously, you've, you've just talked on there that you'd kind of already made your decision to, to probably depart. But on a personal level, what does that mean to a player to get that kind of recognition from the supporters? Yeah, I'm not a very emotional person. <laughs> but of course, on those kind of moments, uh, I could feel that I was feeling that it was a very, very touchy moment. And maybe it was like... A, Finally, I was realizing how the fans and people were thinking about me as a player. Mm. And it was an unbelievable way of ending my Aberdeen career. And I remember still one of my happiest memories after the game when the whole crowd was giving the whole team the standing ovation. and we were doing the lap with the other players. And I'm like, this is something it would be good to be part when when the team is playing well. So that meant you left Aberdeen uh, a total of 80 appearances, scoring four goals in the process. And uh, from Aberdeen, you make the move to to Luton Town, who then were championship as they are at the moment. In your debut season, you made 44 appearances in all competitions for for Luton, picking up their Player of the Year and Players Player of the Year awards as Luton finished up in... 10th spot. Uh, the following season is a bit of a tougher one for Luton. You miss about six weeks with a leg injury and, and Luton end up being relegated. But from there, you make the move to the uh, Austrian Bundesliga as you sign up with Rapid Vienna, where you spend six seasons making over 170 appearances, uh, during which time Rapid win the league in your first season, followed up by a couple of second place finishes, a couple of third place finishes as well as some impressive runs and making it to the group stages of the UEFA Cup. Europa League, which also included a couple of aggregate wins over Aston Villa 
in the playoff rounds in consecutive seasons. It looked like you really enjoyed your your time in Austria. Um, yeah, well, I think I uh, what I enjoyed was also my time in Scotland and England because I could st- I I was uh, I could feel how the football culture is uh, there, like so strong, and I could sense it everywhere. So I think those four four and a half years. On the island was I have very happy moments and going from that to Austria it was also was step into unknown mm-hmm. because I didn't know that much about Austrian football but uh, all in all I think it was a very good decision and and of course during that six years many things happened inside of the club within a team ups and huge big up and downs, mm-hmm. then of course, uh, all our boys are born in Austria during that time. So it's in that sense also a pretty special time from my life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your spell at Rapid uh, took you back to Scotland in 2009. Uh, 1-1 draw at Celtic Park in the group stages of the, uh, I want to say Europa League it would have been then. Um, how did it feel to return to Scotland for you and... Um, Given your time at Aberdeen, did that give you some extra edge to return to to Glasgow? Yeah, I really wanted to beat them. <laughs> uh, it was very nice to be back in Scotland. I I think uh, that has been yeah the only time I've been back. Uh, but I've been planning a long time to come with my at least with my boys to Aberdeen to see the game and the city and stuff like that. But uh, one day we will come. I don't know when when it will be. After leaving Austria, uh, you signed for uh, Norwegian club, start on a, a short-term deal, help them to avoid relegation before then returning to HCK in 2014. After a couple of seasons there, picking up another League and Cup double in 2014, you then returned to your home town and a player-coach role with AC uh, Ulu. And in 2018, you announced your retirement from the game. Now the sporting director at the club. So just tell us a little bit about what you're what your current role uh, looks like and, and, and what that entails for you on a, on a day-to-day basis? Uh, well, this is my first season as a full-time sporting director or sports director. Uh, I have been a sports director in this club already four years, but on the side, I have always done something else because in Finland uh, and in small clubs, you have to combine the jobs or the work or the positions uh, to make it financially like uh, uh, how would I say that you can do it financially yeah yeah uh, well the club has grown uh, a lot in the last two three years so I could think 2017 um, I was in charge of one full-time employee and now the number is over 10. So there's been a rapid change. And of course, the status of the club has changed. Now we're in the top league for the second year on the road. So yeah. uh, my job mainly um, considers uh, working uh, with the first team. Then we have reserve team and under-17 team. So those teams are, are the ones that are under my responsibility. And of course, you have to have a close connection to the coach and to the team to see how things are progressing. 
and then maybe it's more like uh, listening people than telling people what to do mm. at the moment, at least. In terms of just um, aspirations, I guess, for this season coming ahead, I think the, the season kicks off in early April, if I'm not mistaken. What are what's the aim this season for for Ulu? Uh, the last season was uh, a season-long relegation battle, almost, and then we had to play these qualification games against the second best team from the second league. Yeah. So this year the club has made bigger investments, and the aim is to have a a, a stable season without taking part of the relegation battle. So something that we can build on again for the next season. So the team has changed pretty pretty much. Also, we have a, lot, a couple of new coaches. So a lot of things uh, has been done and has been going on during the first month. And I'm not sure if we are completely ready when the season starts in two weeks, but we will see. So that'll be the proof in the pudding when you get to that point, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, Marcus, listen, all the best from all of us here on, on the ABZ Football Podcast for the season ahead. Um, we'll be keeping an eye out for for the results, absolutely, I'm sure. Um, and listen, we'll, we'll we'll wrap things up here. We've, we've taken up plenty of your time. You've got a lot of things to be getting on with with a new season starting in just two weeks' time. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Um, we're glad to have had the opportunity to have you uh, on, on the podcast. We'll finish up with one last question, and this is a question that we ask every single one of our guests who, who appear. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? It was uh, at the time of my career that I I think when we met, it was a good thing because the club maybe was in a crossroads where it's going to go from that point on. But so was my career because at the time I hadn't been playing abroad almost at all. So for me, it was a great opportunity to play, play for the big club. And uh, I, think, uh, I think that uh, what you have said and what I can recollect, the fans uh, were reasonably happy with my performances. So I think uh, that partnership was, was very good at that time. And uh, like I said, I've been thinking of now maybe 10 years about the timing of coming to visit Aberdeen. And, and it will be a happy day once I'm there with my kids and we will meet them. Hey, listen, I'm sure that you'll be more than welcome on your return back to Aberdeen. Absolutely, Marcus Eikinen. Thank you again, Marcus, for taking the time to join us. Stand free. Thank you very much. So that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow or whatever on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next week for episode 50. Gav, we're hitting a half century. Can you believe it? The milestone. 50. 50? In like Scotland, in the Scottish FA, if you get 50 caps, you're in the Hall of Fame, aren't you? We are in the Hall of Fame. That's it. We are in the Hall of Shame of podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. So, Or maybe listen, the Hall of Pain. I don't know what you want to call it. The House of Pain. Heart House. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. Stand free.